Lord, we give this day to you. We're here because, only because, you have reached into our lives and drawn us to yourself. And so we accept the invitation today. And, and God, we ask that you would ex- in, uh, just accept our humility and our surrender and then overwhelm us with a sense of your presence. Lord, we want to experience whatever you have in mind. And we want to be transformed because we've been with you. So we give this time to you, Lord. We give you all praise, all honor, all glory. You and you alone deserve it all. And we're grateful. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Can we all agree that what we experience in our culture in December is not what God was about in sending Jesus to the world. The word Christmas originally simply meant the worship service, Christ Mass. The worship service, it was just the worship service um, about Jesus coming to earth. What we experience today is all the stuff that's been added. And so Christmas, that word Christmas has become an earthly celebration with an earthly realm focus, no matter, and no matter how much we as Christians try to pull it back to what it was originally meant to be, we really can't. And so what I'm proposing this year is that we put our focus on the word Advent and make that the celebration rather than the word Christmas. Because Christmas isn't even in the Bible. That word is not in the Bible. Understand that? So let Hallmark have it. (laughs) And we're going to focus on Advent. Because uh, Advent in the traditional Christian church for centuries has meant the four Sundays leading up to the day that we commemorate Jesus being born. Much like Lent, the focus was intended to be a time of repentance, of sacrifice, of preparation, of giving ourselves more fully to Christ. It's become in our culture extravagance and and overindulgence and spending money on stuff that we don't need to spend on, and, and it's just been usurped by all the stuff this world has. The Bible doesn't even tell us to celebrate Jesus' birth. Did you know that? Nowhere does it say to celebrate Jesus' birth, celebrate his coming. In fact, it was of such little account, and the details are so sketchy, that it's taken about 2,000 years for scholars to really narrow the date down to what it, when Jesus was actually born. And I'm not even going to, we're not even going there. The point is that the Advent was about Jesus coming. So Advent, the word Advent means coming. It means arrival. But the focus in, in, with the early church fathers and, and the, really the Bible itself, the focus was on his second coming, was on his return. Because it's at his return when he restores all things. And so Advent in the early church, and what, what I'm proposing we as a congregation do, is we acknowledge that Jesus' first coming 
when he was born of a virgin, was the beginning of the restoration. And we acknowledge that, but we zero in on what the Bible zeroes in. And so the Bible tells us to look forward to his return, pray for his soon coming. It was throughout the New Testament you find, and in the, in the, in the, in the book of the Revelation, come Lord Jesus, come. That's, that's the focus. It's on his restoration because at the restoration, then we will experience what his original design in the Garden of Eden was all about. That's what we should celebrate. And so during this Advent season, I want us to zero in on that. And I want you to watch the hymns. Last, last year during this season, we spent a lot of time looking at the words of the hymns. Um, and I'm not going to go through that every, every week. But I want you to watch when we sing the hymns. Almost without fail, the final verses talk about his return. That's what Advent is really all about. Jesus came. It was the beginning of the restoration. And so each Sunday, we're going to focus on the meaning of, that has been given in the Advent season of the candles. And so we have the Advent wreath up here. And each Sunday, we will light a candle. The Advent wreath itself tells us and points us to Jesus. It's a circle to remind us that God is eternal, never-ending. It's green to represent that Jesus comes to bring us life. Green represents life. The light of the flames of the candle symbolize the light of, the, of Jesus coming into the world, the light of Christ coming into the world. The three purple candles are about reminding us to turn to God. They are about repentance. When the Christmas season is about um, overindulgence, the Advent season is about repentance. The pink candle is a reminder of the joy that Jesus came to restore. And then the white candle, which we will light on Christmas Eve, is called the Christ candle. It represents the fact that he's come to be God with us. And to make all things new. So my challenge to us this Advent season is for us to listen to the reading that goes with each one of the candles and then to concentrate on living it out. So this week's candle is the candle of hope or preparation. And I want, so I want you to listen to it and be challenged by it. And then this week concentrate on how do I live out the hope of Christ, the hope that he's placed within us. We will also, as a part of our Advent celebration, take a Christ birthday offering. And so our first candle is the candle of hope or preparation. Luke is going to come and light it for us. And as he comes, I'm going to ask Don and Lyric to come and prepare to read um, and give us our theme for this first Sunday in Advent. Today we light the first candle of Advent. Some call it the candle of hope, others call it the candle of preparation. But hope and preparation go hand in hand. Preparation. When we prepare a meal, we, in, 
ensure we have all the ingredients. We cut them up and season it with salt and herbs. This not only brings out the flavor, but also adds nutrition to the food, making it healthier for us and better for our bodies. When we prepare for a visit from a loved one or a friend, we may straighten up, making sure everything is in order so that we can relax and enjoy the time together. We do these things willingly, without hesitation, <coughs> and with the expectation, the hope, of a fulfilling healthy meal or a memorable moment with a friend. Our hope, our expectation, spurs us into action, many times without real thought as to why we do it. If we stop preparing for what is to come, we will miss out on the best parts. The meal won't be finished, the time with friend possibly cut short. There's no stopping midway as we hope and expect a good time. Why is it that we tend to stop in our hope, our preparation for Christ? Over 2,000 years ago, many were preparing for a Messiah. Some had lost hope. Many had stopped preparing, and they missed him. They were stuck looking for a Savior when he was actually right there with them. There were those who could not understand how a king, a Savior, could come from as an innocent child. They were stumped at the manger. Many today still get stuck, thinking that there should be no difficulty or pain. Baby Jesus is sweet, innocent, and for many, easy to handle. They stay at the manger. And hope and preparation didn't. <clears throat> Jesus didn't. The manger prepared the way for the cross. Christ hung there. <clears throat> All our sin and shame hung. Our guilt laid upon him as he died, taking the full force of God's wrath upon him in my place, in our place. That is our true hope. Many people get stuck at the cross, not moving forward. They hang their heads in shame and guilt, not hoping and not preparing. And though forgiveness was accomplished at the cross, it doesn't end there. The cross was preparation for the resurrection. In him and through him, death is defeated. Sin no longer has a hold, and we have hope. Well, some may stop at the manger or the cross or the resurrection, <clears throat> There is still some there's still more to come because the resurrection leads to Jesus' return. He is coming again. That is our hope and that is what we are preparing for. As we live each day, as we breathe each moment, we are to be preparing for his return, sharing with others the <clears throat> love of Christ that he has shown to us, the hope he has given us, not just in words, for our words mean nothing without him. Not just with actions, for that is busy work if not guided by him, but in everything we are and everything we do. We cannot stay at the manger. Christ did not stay there. We cannot stay at the cross, for it is finished there. We must continue to move, preparing for his coming, for in him and him alone is our hope. So as we light the candle of hope and preparation, we commit ourselves to surrender, listen, and obey Christ, the living hope, and to let him shine through us. First Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In the message today, we're going to be looking at our memory verse, the three parts of our memory verse, and I thought it would be helpful for us to read the context of those verses as a part of our scripture reading today. So let's read, pray, proclaim 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 to 24. 
And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. We have the rest? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Abstain from what, every form of evil. <laughs> oh, okay. Look at your bulletin then. Everybody pull out your bulletin. You thought this was a useless piece of paper, didn't you? Starting on verse 23. Verse 23. And God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Yeah, we need to read those last two verses. Yep, that's what happens sometimes when you copy and paste. I pray that you would lead us and guide us to, be, to humble ourselves more deeply than we even realize we need to. I pray that you would show us how to get pride out of the way, out of, how to get ourselves out of focus and so that in our sights will be you and you alone. As we go through this Advent season, as we go through the chaos of our world, as we get bad news in our culture, I pray that you would lift our eyes up to you and recognize that when we say that we need you, you are there. Yes, you respond. And we don't even have to ask twice. As we worship you today, Lord, draw us to yourself. Get us to that place of humility. And so these are, are kind of all the time practices. These three statements, invitations, commands are all, and they're based on the character of God. So let's say it again. First Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. So I've asked Don to um, come and take the first 10 minutes, <laughs> the first third of the message. And uh, so in your outline, there's, there's the, the phrase rejoice always, a place for you to jot down some notes. Did you, did you adjust that clock for me? Yeah. <laughs> As pastor said last week, he asked me uh, if I would, and of course, yes, anything the Lord calls, I'll do. I'm, uh, I'm a servant, and I love being a servant. And so, as, as you've heard me say, any of you have talked to me, 
I don't do anything without praying. And so I didn't know he had an outline here. That's all right. God has an outline. He wrote it. It's called the Holy Bible. That's his love letter to all of us. So everything that I strive to do, I do through the uh, Word of God. But that, this particular memory verse is awesome. Rejoice always. What's that first word? Rejoice. What's in the middle of it? J-O-I, but we know it as J-O-Y. One of my favorite life verses is Nehemiah 8 and 10. And that says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So where do I get my strength? And you said I'm strong, but I'm strong in the Lord because of him, because I have his joy in me. I have his joy. Pray without ceasing. I learned that, and he's, that's what we're here for, to learn to really pray. Listen, as you like to say. Now really listen, because the Bible says they hear without hearing, they see without seeing. So get it right. He's calling you. He's calling you, and he will make the positive changes in your life where you will have such joy and rejoice and jump for joy. And, and just, oh, man, it's just such a joy, such a joy to serve the Lord and to be here, to be called, and thank you so much, and to share what's in my heart. Give thanks in all things. I've had some discussions with people that say, well, you know, my dad's sick, or I don't feel good, or well, you want me to thank the Lord for that? Yes, yes, I do. Who is the great physician? Well, I call him Jehovah, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, right? So when I don't feel well, or my son, who's fighting a type of cancer, his father-in-law has cancer, and he had a 12-inch incision on his back made Tuesday to help take care of him, well, I give thanks, because I was with him in the hospital yesterday and say, you are in the hands of the Lord. So where are you? Where am I? I'm in the hands of the Lord. So I give thanks when I don't feel well. Lord, you made me. You'll heal me. If you want me out of this bed, chair, or whatever I'm in, you're going to get me up. And if not, you're going to take me home. How do I know that? I read it. I absolutely read it. I believe it. I receive it. And I obey it. He likes to surrender, listen, and obey. We both have ways of dealing with the Lord, but he loves us all in our own personal way. And when you put us boneheads together, we make a wall of faith. (laughs) Imagine that. How could you do that with us? Take a look in the mirror. But he does. I still have time. He told me about that clock one time. I said, where? It's, It's adjusted for you. And that's why I can laugh, because I've had sorrow in my life. I've had a lot of sorrow. We all have. But he says, in all things give thanks. Well, what's that next part? For that is the will of God for you, for in Christ Jesus for you. And I've had people say, well, how do you know the will of God? Uh, I believe we read it up there. It's written in the, in the Bible. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, 18. It is the will of God. Do we all know how to read? I think we're Americans and we should know how to read or listen. I mean, we have more ways to Sunday to pick up the word of God. So what are we missing? Us being obedient. That big O that Pastor and I have talked about, 
that big O that stops us from receiving, listening, obeying, doing the will of God. Where? When? How? With whom? How, how long? 28 minutes yesterday in the hospital, and I had three times to pray with people, to lift them all up to the Lord. Three times. I know it was 28 minutes. I was telling Pete I had a parking ticket. You know, you, you can, no, not, not a parking ticket, but when you pay to park. I haven't got one of those in a while. <laughs> but I walked out. I said, oh, Lord, as short as I am, I was that high off the ground going into the parking garage, and I looked 28 minutes. Woo! And I can rejoice because I believe everything in the Word of God. I absolutely believe it. Now, Pastor, you mentioned you showed the rest of the verse in First Thessalonians 5, and that's a context, and that's one of the keys. Now, there's one other context, and I'm going to take it back because my favorite movie is Back to the Future. Here, it's Genesis. You go to Genesis, and you'll see the future. 315 will tell you that he's going to preach on that. I'll let him do it. <laughs> but it... it, it, it Philip, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul's talking about the rapture, the going home. That's where we're going. We're going home. This isn't our home. It's our mission field. Now, Tim and Amanda are over in India and Nepal. We're here. Other people I know are all over. But wherever your little tiny feet are, that full armor of God talks about the, the shoes shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's not a joke. That's for real. You're to take that someplace, not just say, well, look what I got, and I'm going to put it on my shelf and let it grow dust. No, 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 you're not. No, you're not. If you do, guess who's feeling bad? Look in the mirror. I'll take it off and run. Ooh, I love it. And, and he tells us about the rapture. Then in... In, in chapter 5, he tells us all the things that we need to be doing because it's all a preparation, as you mentioned. It is all a preparation of what? Of reaching out to everybody, encouraging each other, and reaching out to those who don't know Christ as Savior. I just read this morning in the Holy Word of God, and in 1 Timothy, Paul was telling Timothy, God wishes that none should be left behind. None. Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenks write a marvelous series, Left Behind. There wasn't supposed to be anybody left behind because of decisions made, unrighteous decisions that are made. People will be left behind. Pray for them. Pray for them. I cry about them daily. My Savior wept and I'll weep. Because he wants us all to go home to experience the joy of the Lord. Emmanuel, God is with us. That's what we're to experience for all eternity. Now, there's no clocks in heaven, Pastor, so you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> but he's preparing us to go home. So there's that context, far-reaching, and then in all of chapter 5, that says, okay, that's your marching orders, because there's more in there. Don't quench the spirit, et cetera, et cetera. But here's another thing about praying, and I've talked to a lot of people. They say, well, I don't think God hears me. I don't think God listens to me. I don't think God likes me. 
Well, whether he likes you or not, he loves you. He gave you his only begotten son. That cross is very important to me and to you. He loves you. So what makes you think that he's not listening to you? Don't you know, as I was here yesterday doing something, and I was praying, I always pray, I said, Holy Spirit, because I had found something to add to this in a different copy of our daily bread, but we didn't have that particular copy here. Don't worry, folks, he gave me something. This comes from last year, June, July, and August. I was sitting in here praying. <clears throat> in Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14, God tells, tells us through Jeremiah, then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Jeremiah 29, 12. And of course, there's a little narrative that said, he hears us. Get that? Remember it yourself. And anybody who talks who said, I don't think God listens to me. I probably did too many bad things and whatever. He hears us. He hears you. He hears me. So I'm going to read. <clears throat> United States President Franklin D. Roosevelt often endured long receiving lines at the White House. As the story is told, he complained that no one paid attention to what was said. So he decided to experiment at a reception. I'd heard this before. This is cool. To everyone who passed down the line and shook his hand, he said, I murdered my grandmother this morning. I had, a, I had a psychology professor in college that probably wrote this for him, but he's too young. But it's shock therapy. It works. It works. The guests responded with phrases like, marvelous, keep up the good work. God bless you, sir. It wasn't until the end of the line greeting the ambassador from Bolivia that his words were actually heard. Nonplus, the ambassador whispered, I'm sure she had it coming. I mean, people, come on. <laughs> Do you ever wonder if people are really listening when you talk? God's talking to us always, and he wants us to listen to him. And now we're going to get into, of, or worse, do you fear that God isn't listening? We can tell if people are listening based on their responses and eye contact. The eye is the window to the soul. If someone is like, oh, yeah, you can bet your sweet bippy, that's an old word, I'm an old guy, that they're not paying attention. It's going, that's where I lost my hair, it went over my head until I got it right. No, I just make that up. Responses and eye contact, are they really connecting with you? You know, down here at the Conway Yards, they connect these rail cars, and Mick, you worked on the. If that track is off center and not connected, guess what happens to the next car? Boom, pssst, misses the point. They don't. It's an automatic connecting system down there. Are you paying attention, and are you making eye contact? God is, and so guess what? If He did it and He does it, we do it, or we should be doing it. <clears throat> But how do we know if God is listening? Should we rely on feelings or see if God answers our prayers? Over 70 years of exile in Babylon, God promised to bring his people back to Jerusalem and secure their future, Jeremiah 29, 10, 11. 
When they called upon him, he heard them in verse 12. They knew that God heard their prayers because he promised to listen. And the same is true for us in 1 John 5.14. We don't need to rely on feelings. They'll get you into big trouble. <clears throat> or wait for a sign. A rainbow in the sky. That was given as a response that he never flood the world again. Not something in the future. This is in the past. We don't need to rely on feelings or wait for a sign to know that God listens to us. He's promised to listen. And he always keeps his promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20. I love that. He's always listening. Are you going to listen? One of your favorite words in the slow lifestyle. Okay? Are you going to listen to God? You got to pay attention because he wants you to be, he made us to be his army, to march with him, to go with him, to stand fast. He gives us the armor and stand fast. We don't have to fight. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, is the only offensive weapon that we need in this. And when God says, speak, I'll speak. If he says, you just stand there and let them look at you, because I had some people yesterday, I had a mask on up on the floor where I was going, and they said the kindest things and said, you're just so full of joy. And I had a mask on, right? Why? I was thinking about that last night. I was praying because the eyes are the window to the soul. They saw Christ. Now could... <laughs> That overwhelms me. Thankfully, it overwhelms me that I, one such as I, who could tell you some stories of long ago, was telling Ashley this morning, April 1963, saw a friend of mine and his girlfriend going to one of those churches on a Wednesday night. And one of the guys I was, you know how mob mentality is really goofy? And, uh, you know, someone says something, so you got to jump in. And one of the guys said, oh, yeah, look, he's carrying his Bible. I said, you'll never catch me carrying a Bible on the street. <laughs> Duh. I said to Ashley, this way, I bet God bumped Jesus and said, do you hear what that clown said? He said, I'm going to make him a walking Bible, even with them short legs. So. But anyway, I don't know how much time has gone, but I, I thought so. But love the Lord and hang on. These verses are really good. Whoever's up next. Thank you. Thanks. Bless you. Thank you. Boneheads together make a wall of strength. That's what you got. That's what you got, yeah. That's great. I love that. After I had asked um, these folks to, to share these three verses, I, I, and, I, and I started digging into the center part that I felt like God wanted me to address, I, I wondered what they would do with it because it became very apparent that all three are connected. Mm -hmm. And even um, when you go in the commentaries, they say it's by this constant prayer, this constant relationship with God that you have the ability to rejoice always. And that rejoicing isn't something that you say, okay, I'm going to rejoice today, but rather it's 
a result of walking in step with Christ in obedience to him and that joy, that, that scripture that you quoted from, that the joy of the Lord is my strength. So pray without ceasing then is a, another piece of this and it's really at the core. And, and we have spent lots of time on prayer because, and prayer not as, wrote words that you speak or even requests that you make, but as conversation with God always. Um, and reflecting back, um, well, I have come to the place where God has so poured out and led me to a relation, an intimacy with him that has caused it to be almost second nature for me. First thing when I wake up is to talk to him. Last thing I do when I go to bed is to talk with him. As I'm laying there falling asleep, just talking with him because I've come to the place where the greatest pleasure in my life is time with God. Amen. I, it, it's kind of recapturing what Adam and Eve had back in the garden. The greatest pleasure is being with God. Now, if 20 years ago, and I'm, you had told me that, I would have thought, man, you are super spiritual out to lunch. You, I don't know what's wrong with you, but you need to get a life. Because it just seems um, otherworldly, doesn't it? For, to hear somebody say the greatest pleasure of all than anything else is the time with God just seems like they're, they're not they don't have their feet on the ground. And yet I'm telling you, that's the gift of God. I don't, I don't, I don't believe it's anything that God has given. I, I don't think it's anything that I've earned or all I've ever done is just respond. And he's the one that gives us that. So I don't, I don't think there's any formula for getting there except time. Time with God. There's no other way to get there. Um, so I want you to think for a moment of somebody that you're really good friends with. It might be a spouse. It might be a best friend that you had growing up. Somebody that you just enjoy being with. You love being with. Conversation is natural. You might not see them for a long period of time, but as soon as you see them, you just pick up right where you are and it's there. You got it? Do you know how you got there? Time. Time. Just time spending together. Time in a lot of different ways, laughing together, crying together, working together, fighting and working it out together. It's just time. And so I think this whole idea of pray without ceasing is that lifestyle of being in communication with God is a skill that is built over time. And I don't know how many decades it takes, but it takes decades. You don't get there like that. It takes time. It's a skill that has been built. It's a skill of being on your knees. It's a skill that comes from following the nudges when God is, is speaking. Um, for me, God has used clouds as, as a way of drawing close to his presence. And some of you laugh at me all the time because on my live stream, usually I'll have clouds different for me. I've got, I've got Terry and different people sending me pictures of clouds going... He's obsessed. Why not just feed his obsession? <laughs> <laughs> but here's, wh here's what God has done. 
is every time I see cl a cloud formation that's different or unique or in some way, I, I go, God, that is marvelous. I just praise you for that. And it's just that constant ongoing grabbing my attention that causes me to walk in step with him. It's, it's when I think there's an element of pain that you have to go through hard times that, that causes you to turn. I've, I've heard several different people, Tim Keller, Rick Warren, different people say, you don't know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you got. And I think there's that element of pain when Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Why? Because it forces you to depend on him in, that can come in no other way. And so I think there's that element of turning to God when you're going through difficult times. But what we do know is it says pray without ceasing. Pray without, and, and, and so it's this lifestyle of communication with God. It doesn't mean that you've got your eyes closed, hands folded all the time. It means that as you're going through your day, there's this awareness. And that, that, and that, and it almost becomes, almost becomes a default of saying, God, thank you for that. God, work in this. God, I don't know how to handle this. Help me. God, I just love being with you. But I, and nudges are an important part of it because one element has been a willing, in, in recent months, a willingness for me to say, as I'm walking, I love, I love to walk, especially I love to walk the trails, and I love to listen to books on, on my MP3 player. But one of the things that God has been not forcing me, but giving me a strong choice is turn that off and just be with me as you're walking the trail. And in those moments, he said things, he's given me assurance, he's just filled my heart to overflowing. But what it requires is saying no to myself and saying, I love you, Lord, in our fasting prayer, I love you more than food, I love you more than books on MP3. I love you more than doing those kinds of things. And it's so, just so much more valuable. So praying without ceasing means that God is always at the front of our minds and we're always, in, we're always that close to communication with him. The commentators say that it's by praying without ceasing and having that, that you have joy always and that you have an attitude of being grateful in all circumstances. First Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, let's say it again. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God, will of God in Christ Jesus for you. First Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Randy and Terry are going to come and talk about giving thanks in all circumstances. stand down there and take notes <laughs> a lot of good notes first Thessalonians 518a give thanks in all circumstances give thanks in all circumstances five easy words right five easy words to remember 
Five easy words to live. Five easy words to apply to your life. <laughs> All right, it's confession time. I am memory challenged in general. I have way too many things running around in my head to remember stuff. Mm -hmm. And I really struggle to memorize scripture. Sorry, Pastor Herb. I try, but it's really hard. You see, when you don't start doing something till you're 30-something, that something becomes really a challenge. Mm -hmm. And memorization of scripture is one of mine. But it seems I can remember five easy little words. <laughs> Give thanks in all circumstances. And I find that if I can apply that scripture to my life, it's even easier to remember. So apply the scripture I did. As I sat with these words, these five easy little words, it was like this foul drawer exploded of my life. And I looked at all the things I've been through, the circumstances just swirling around in my head. And I looked at it, though, through the lens of First Th Thessalonians. See, I can't say it, but I know what it is. <laughs> and I learned how to spell it, too, by the way. 518, give thanks in all circumstances. So I looked at it, and I thought, did I give thanks in the circumstance when Randy and I first got married? And we lived in the house that he had lived in with his first wife, and we were in the wrong school district for my children? Did I give thanks in the circumstance when I lost my corporate accounting job? Did I give thanks in the circumstance of leaving the church that I first found Jesus and found that there was a relationship to be had with him? Did I give thanks in the circumstance of my cancer? This is a big one. Did I give thanks in the circumstance of my son moving to Colorado in the middle of my cancer journey? Mm. Mm. See, you've all been there. <laughs> Did I give thanks in the circumstance of Randy leaving his job of 34 years? Mm -hmm. Did I give thanks of this in the circumstance of Randy falling through the deck just a couple of months ago? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the truth is, those circumstances are in the past. And if I used those, I could make it easy, and I could simplify give thanks in all circumstances because I know the outcome. And so I could build it up and make you feel like, how come I can't do that? Well, because I know the answer. <laughs> I know where God brought me. But the thing is, what about now? You see, I'm going through some stuff, and it hasn't been so easy to give thanks. So do I give thanks in the circumstance I'm living right now, which is watching my mom in pain day after day, taking her to at least one doctor appointment, if not two or three, in the same week? Did I give thanks just on Thursday Thanksgiving in the circumstances of realizing that my mom can't do what she was able to do just a year ago for Thanksgiving? And this year I needed to step up and step in and take over things that she used to do. Did I give thanks in those circumstances? From Jesus Calling, a thankful attitude opens the window of heaven. Thankfulness is not any sort of magical formula. It is the language of love. It enables you to communicate intimately with me. Yes, I lived those intimate situations with Terry all that time of first being married, of living in my house, not our house, but my house. I went through those difficulties. There was pain. There was suffering. It was not an easy journey. But we kept looking to God. 
I was always, had already been looking to God and seeing that I was watching God, seeing how he was going to work, praying to God, Terry got to see what was happening in that. That I was thankful for what? We prayed at meals, something new that Terry didn't do and our kids didn't do. We prayed. We thanked God that we had food on our table. We thanked God for what was happening. God took those five little words, give thanks in all situations, all circumstances, to be at work in our lives. But God used those words in Paul's life too, which is interesting. Paul, as you know, was shipwrecked, was put in prison, was bitten by a snake a couple times, a deadly snake. But what did he do? He gave thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances involves an action of our part, but it also involves our attitude. It's our attitude. Because our actions are easy. We can, in our actions, we can be thankful, but it's our attitude. Our attitude is also a choice because as Christians, we can just do a little checkbox. Oh, I'm thankful for God for that, ain't I? Because I'm a good Christian. But that's not what it is. It's not a, I'm thankful. Oh, I'm thankful for that, God. Thank you for getting through that. We can't call that thankfulness, can we? But they're five easy words, aren't they, Terry? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> They are they are, really? No, they're really not. But five <laughs> little words, easy to apply. So you see, it's not especially easy with our human earthly thinking, right? The world says life isn't fair. I shouldn't have to go through all of these awful circumstances. I deserve an easier life. And sometimes, even as Christians, we buy into this too. Earthly realm, upside down thinking. That's what it is. But God's word, which we heard is an invitation and a commandment, is to give thanks in all circumstances. It's not fair, but life's not fair. We all know that. Life's not fair. Just because you're a Christian doesn't give us that trump card to say, let's go do whatever we want. It's not. But right side up living is. Being in that heavenly realm that God calls us to be in. It's a relationship with Jesus. It's our faith. It's our trust. It's our spiritual journey. It's our spiritual maturity. But along with that, it's our spiritual exercise. We've got to do something about it. We just can't just take the Bible. We just can't know that verse and bring it in our hearts. We've got to apply that verse. We've got to exercise that verse in what we do. That's what it is. That's that relationship. Give thanks in all circumstances. Five easy words that can turn our life and our world upside down if we make that choice, if we make that attitude. Here's the thing about God. He starts us where we're at. So I didn't start with five 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances. We don't start there. You might guess by now where my journey started, right? 
Jeremiah 29, 11, of course. <laughs> I told you I will always find a way to get it into my sermons. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster to give you a future and a hope. And I held on to the scripture through all of those difficult times as God increased my faith and my trust. And through the messy parts of my life, because there were some messiness too, I added Romans 8.28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those that love him and don't stop there and are called according to his purpose. <laughs> it is easier, I found, to live. Jeremiah 29.11, Romans 8.28, and 1 Thessalonians 5.18. When they were only my circumstances I was dealing with. So I could apply all of those, and I could see God's good plan, and I could see how he could possibly work my messy life into something good. And I even grew to be able to give thanks in the circumstances. But I'll tell you what, and see, I don't usually do this. You have to know. Or have you been a good example? Because I like to deal with what is past and what I know. Now I'm dealing with my present. And so I'm going to tell you that this has been hard. It has been a really hard journey watching my mom. And it has been really hard to hold on to Jeremiah 29, 11, no matter how much I believe it and how much God has shown me that it worked. And it has been hard to remember Romans 8, 28. And it has been really beyond hard to live 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 and give thanks in all circumstances. Giving thanks as I watch my mom suffer. Giving thanks as I watch her deteriorate over a couple of months to not barely go out of the house except for a doctor's appointment when in May she was out and about and working five days, five and six days a week. But now I watch my mom suffer and I find that to be unfair. She doesn't deserve that. She went through a lot of ugliness and messiness in her life and in her last, last years, whatever they may be, she's 78. I'm like, she, this should not be the end of my mother's life dealing with all of this and I know that a lot of you know this and have lived this and are living this and so I'm sharing where I'm at because Ignite told me I should <laughs> said open my journal well it's not written down yet but here's my journal I am challenged all the time with these three scriptures right now the ones that I live the ones that I breathe the ones that are deep inside of me because God brought me through and I, but I'm still trying to hold on. And that's the thing, God's still working. I know he's still working. I know that there's an, a beautiful end to this. And you know what that beautiful end is? My mom in heaven, Amen. whenever that may be, however much pain we have to go through, I'm thankful for the time I have with her right now because he could have already taken her. But we get to spend lots of quality time <laughs> driving back and forth to Presby and Montefiore Hospital and, and Hillman and all over the place. But I wouldn't give up that time. And we're both thankful that we have that time because we didn't make that time when she was well. And so I'm finding a way to be thankful even in this difficult, difficult circumstance. From yesterday's Jesus Calling. Let thankfulness rule in your heart as you thank me for blessing, for blessings in your life, a marvelous thing will happen. Remember our three points. Five easy words to remember. 
five easy words to live. Five easy words to apply. It's not a commercial. <laughs> the choice is yours today, and it is a choice. It's not an easy choice, but the choice is yours today. If we will only remember these five little words, give thanks in all circumstances, we will see what God's got in store for us. Amen. <laughs> you like that? I do like that. Thank you. Yeah, give them a round of applause. You've heard everybody share the reality of it. And that's really where life is lived, is in those moments. It's one thing to hear platitudes, isn't it? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. It's another when it really hits the road and you hear testimonies of people dealing with those kinds of things. The more I, I, we have used this as our memory verse for November and the more that I, I dug into my part of, of the memory verse for today, the more I, I believe that this is an essence of what it means to live the Christian life, Amen. of what it means to live in intimacy with God. These are not, they, they're not isolated commands. This isn't the only place that it appears. So before we close, I want you to open your Bible very quickly to Philippians chapter 4. <laughs> Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. And Randy, I find it interesting you say it's five easy words to apply, five easy words. And I'm going, I look at Terry's face, she's going, eh. five to apply. Yeah, but the easy part, I... In theory, in theory. Compa compared to what it is to carry it on your own, that's where it's easy. Amen. Philippians 4, see if you recognize any of these words. Rejoice in the Lord always. Sounds familiar. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. There we go. With supplication, those are requ prayer is the conversation, the constant conversation with God. Supplication is the request that we make of God. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then, the peace of God, which surpasses, transcends, confounds all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the essence. The, the, this isn't an option. This is a lifestyle that we have to live one of the commentators said something like this, a Christ follower who lives without joy, who does not practice ceaseless communication, who is ungrateful, in any way breaks God's commands from the core of not trusting God. And it really does come down to that. We will rejoice, we will pray without ceasing, we will live with thanksgiving when we trust. 
Not what we see now, but in the character of God. So, would you bow your heads and reflect for a moment? Are there any ways that you're not allowing God to give you joy? It's His joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Are there any circumstances where you are whining, complaining, griping, moaning, instead of choosing to live with His joy? That confident assurance that He really is in control, that He's got you in His hands, that he's going to work it out, that he's going to deliver on his Romans 8.28 promise. Are there any ways where you're not going through your day in conversation with God? Where you're relying on yourself instead of him, when you're not really turning to him, when you're not communicating with him, when you're not living with a sense of his presence? Are there any ways... Or any circumstances that you are going through where you're not giving thanks in the midst of them. Not necessarily for them, but in the midst of them. Where you're whining, complaining, moaning, instead of looking to Him. All three of these have their source and their strength in His Holy Spirit within you. As you surrender, Listen and obey. If you identified any in this moment, would you give them to God? Ask Him to so fill you with His Spirit that this will be your lifestyle. Rejoicing, conversation, and thanksgiving. Lord, we thank you and praise you for leading us to these verses for this month. I pray that you would lead us ongoing as we go through this week to look to you for hope. To look to you to give us joy and gratitude. And in doing so, Lord, that we will have the light of Christ shining through us. That just as Don talked about, that others will see you in our eyes and be drawn to you, not to us, but to you. Thank you for what we've heard. Now apply it to our lives as we go through our week. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.